right, good morning, church. Take your Bibles, would you please, and let's open up to Amos chapter 6. Amos chapter 6, Pew Bibles, that's page 823. On your Bible, that's on page, I have no idea. But you'll find it right after Amos chapter 5. That should help you. Man, I'm so glad to be back with you guys today. I missed y'all last week. I did uh, live stream it while driving. I'm sure that was safe. Um, but I did uh, really enjoy being able to listen to the service last week. was greatly encouraged by it. Thank you, Joel, for bringing the word. Thank you, Fred and KC, for le- leading us in worship through singing. And, uh, but it's so good to be home and back with you guys. You all there now? Amos chapter 6? We're good? Last time that I was here, we, we looked at the first of four warning statements that Amos gives to the people of Israel. In his first warning, Amos declared that their profession of faith or their religious activity were both hypocritical. Because they were hypocritical, the Lord would not off, uh, accept their offerings or their sacrifices. He wasn't going to accept accept their offerings and sacrifices because the people were living in outright rebellion towards God. So, so although they were consistent and faithful through, to go through the religious activities, uh, uh, the problem was they were just going through the motions. And the very fact that they were going through the motions was more than just a sham. It was a, a completely repulsive offense to the holiness and the righteousness of God. And so this week, we're going to continue to look at his warning uh, declarations. This time, we're going to get to the second one. We're only going to cover the second one this week, and then next week, we'll we'll cover uh, the third and the fourth one together. And so this one is is a warning to those that are indifferent, uh, to those that have just become so lazy and indifferent in their relationship with God that they don't even realize that they're in rebellion against him or that God's judgment is coming down upon them. And so we'll pick up in chapter 6, and I'll just read the first three verses as we get started. It says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to whom the house of Israel comes, go over to Kalna and look, and, and go from there to Hamath the Great, and Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity? And would you bring near the seat of violence? I hope to be able to unpack all of this with you this morning. But before I attempt to do so, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the great joy and the privilege that we have to come together freely and openly to to declare with united voices our love and admiration for who you are and what you do and what you promise to do. God, I pray that our worship is genuine today. I pray that not one of us would be guilty of going through the motions in a hypocritical manner. God, that we would be true to to truly listen to your word. Father, may your word pierce our hearts today. 
And may our response bring honor and glory unto your name. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So at the beginning of chapter 6, the prophet shatters their false sense of security that the nation was experiencing. I think that his voice seems to rise to an even greater volume as he calls them out and he says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Now, now the northern Israelites were not the only ones to whom Amos was addressing this warning to. Amos also calls out the southern kingdom in this warning. Verse number one says, and to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria. So, so Amos is, to be clear, he is addressing both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. He's addressing them both together. Now the people of the southern kingdom might, might have kind of forgot their brief mention earlier in, in the book of Amos. And so uh, to prevent us from forgetting about the southern kingdom, look back at Amos chapter 2. It's been a while since, since Amos spoke directly to the southern kingdom. And then in chapter 2, this is what he had to say to them beginning in verse number 4. He said, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke its punishment. Because they rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, their lies also have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and I will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. So let me paint the picture for you so you can see the connection between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. After King Solomon dies, then the nation of Israel is split into two kingdoms. And so you have the southern tribe was made up of the tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin. And then the other ten tribes, they make up the northern tribe, the northern uh, kingdom of, of Israel. And so here, both northern and southern kingdoms are included in this word of condemnation. Because in God's eyes, Israel is made up of all 12 tribes, not just two, or, or nor, nor is it made up of just 10. It was made up of all of them together. So Amos is addressing, notice who's he, who he's uh, focusing this statement towards. He says, to the distinguished men of the foremost of nations. So in other words, it was to the leaders of the people of Israel are the individuals to whom Amos is specifically addressing in this warning declaration. So they called themselves the foremost of the nations, or if you have the ESV, it says the first of the nations. So, so there was their, their priority. There was their position, if you will. Verse number one also says that they felt secure in the mountains of Samaria. So this is a, a group of individuals that felt completely at ease. They, were, uh, they felt totally safe and secure. And all of this was based around the false sense of confidence. Their false confidence is what leads them to a place of complacency and apathy in their lives. And, and so let me just kind of unpack what is this false confidence rooted in? How, how do they become so complacent in their uh, approach to God and how they handle the Word of God? I think there are a couple things that lead towards their complacency. 
I think, first of all, it, it, it's very likely that they felt at ease and they felt secure simply because of their physical location. It's a ge geographical reasoning. And the reason why I say that is you look at other places in Scripture, like in Psalm chapter 78, it says, But choose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has founded forever. So the nation is situated on Mount Zion, and, and Jerusalem was considered to be impregnable. And, and so they had this overconfidence simply because of their geographical location. And Psalm 132 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Verse 15 says, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her need with bread. Her priest also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself his crown shall shine. So not only did they have this wonderful geographical location, they also had the blessings and the promises of God that this was going to be his people, his place, and he's got them. But you got to understand that there were conditions in that. They weren't just going to be blessed by God simply because God said, hey, I've got you. There had to be an act of obedience on their lives. They had to be true and faithful to what God tells them to do and how he calls them to live. But they seemed to lose that. And they began to get distracted with other things and other desires in their lives other than the ultimate desire to pursue and to please the Father above all things. It's much like that these cities are, are, are dealing with, with their divided loyalties they have this feeling of safety and security, and it's all based upon something that wasn't completely true, if you will. Yeah, Israel was situated in a geographically beautiful location, but that in and of itself isn't enough. They received the blessings and the promises of God but still they had to walk in faithful obedience to that covenantal relationship that God established with them. So they, they, they couldn't just say everything's going to be good and it doesn't matter how we live, it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter what we say. We have a tendency to fall into this trap ourselves today. It matters. It matters who we are. It matters what we do. Our words, the things that we say, matter. And so we need to be walking in faithful obedience according to the word of God. And so Amos is, is trying to address people who have become so self-confident that they can't even see the destruction that is knocking at their door. And so they have this complacent spirit among themselves. And so some of it's based upon their geographical location. I think also some of it's based upon their confidence or their overconfidence based upon past military successes. So, so they're resting on the history. They're, they're resting on past 
battles that have been won, and, and they have this idea that, oh yeah, we're good, we're solid, we're strong, and nothing can come against us. The complacency that's referred to in verse number one says that the people are at ease in Zion. I think that's because they're resting on those past victories, and it leads them to a false sense of security. And not only does it give them a false sense of security, it actually renders them incapable of actually seeing the threat that's surrounding them within the nation of the Assyrian Empire. They're not even aware of that. They're they're, they're blinded by the threat. And so the complacent individuals were guilty of placing their trust in the power and the wealth of people rather than placing their trust in God and God's word and in God's promises. So these two nations were extremely prosperous. They had great military strength. The northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom at this time, they were the greatest nations in that part of the world. And as a result, the people highly esteemed their leadership, highly esteemed their their military strength, rather than properly esteeming God and recognizing the role that God plays in and through it all. So because of that, they place their trust and their confidence in people. They they place their trust and their confidence in their military rather than resting in, in confidence in God and in God alone. Amos challenges all of these people from both kingdoms to to look around and and give some heartfelt consideration. He he, he mentions a few other nations here. He he challenges them. Look at at the cities, rather, the cities of Kalnam, the cities of Hamath. These are cities that were located north of them. So, So look to the north, and then he mentions the city of Gath, and he says, so not only look to the north, but also look to the south. See what's happening. See what's been happening because all of these three places have been conquered by Assyria and they had been utterly devastated. They've been destroyed. And he says, hey, just look to the north. Look to the south. Pay attention to what's happening. And then he gives them a couple of questions. He says, are you better than these kingdoms? The answer to that question would be no. Yeah, are you better than these kingdoms? No, but... You should be. And then he says, or or is their territory greater than your territory? Again, the answer is no, but it should be. If you are doing right, living right, honoring the covenantal relationship, then it would be. But see, they they put their trust in the, the strength of their prosperity. They place their confidence in their army, in their leaders, rather than placing it in God. They disobeyed his holy commandments, and they lived outright wickedly in the presence of the Father. In view of these facts and left with no other choice, the Lord pronounces his judgment upon the complacent people of the nation of Israel. May you know that God doesn't just look at the talent of national leaders, God doesn't just look at the extent of a nation's army. God doesn't just look at um, the prosperity or the wealth of a nation. No, 
what God looks at is God looks at the heart, the heart of the individuals, the heart of people, the heart of the nations, and he renders his judgment based upon the heart. And that's so important and necessary for us to see that because complacency is a deceptive sin. Complacency is a deceptive sin that is based upon a lie. It's motivated by pride, and it leads us to trusting someone or something other than trusting in God. And here's the thing. This isn't the first time that the nation of Israel has been challenged and tried to be uh, corrected in their behavior or in their mindset. Almost a hundred years prior to this, the Lord spoke to the nation through another prophet. This time it was the prophet Zephaniah. And in Zephaniah chapter 1, in verses 12 and 13, it says, It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. Mm. Who are stagnant in spirit. Who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder, and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses, but not inhabit them, and plant vineyards, but not drink uh, the wine from the fruit. He says this judgment is coming because he's going to judge them because they become stagnant in their spirit. They become complacent in their relationship and in their works for the glory of God. I mean, the people that Amos addresses here, like Zephaniah a hundred years before so, are very much like the people the Lord addresses directly in, in the book of Revelation. I mean, we see this again in the life of the church when the Lord calls attention to the church of Laodicea. In fact, turn with me. Let's read that together real quick. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Because the nation of Israel is much like Laodicea. They become complacent. They're confident in themselves. They think they're rich and they're wealthy and they're strong. They don't realize that they're really poor, naked, blind, and need uh, of great deliverance from God. Uh, so let's go there. Revelation chapter 3. beginning in verse number 14 it says to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God says this I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot I wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea, in their deeds, in their relationship with God, they were, they were neither hot nor were they cold. They were just lukewarm is how they were classified. Hot water can cleanse and can purify. Cold water can refresh or, or liven uh, something up. Both of them have value. Both of them have a purpose. Both of them have great worth. But, but lukewarm water carries no similar value. We've got to understand that the Laodiceans, they understood the Lord's analogy perfectly clear because the Lord was speaking to them with terms and imagery that they could definitely connect with. Because what you may or may not know is that Laodicea in and of itself had no fresh water supply. So in order for the community to have access to water, they had to build these ancient aqueduct water systems. And so they had to funnel water into Laodicea. Fortunately for them, there were a couple of communities six to eight miles away that had water that they were able to to funnel to Laodicea. In one place, uh, Hierapolis, I believe was the name, it had this hot water, hot springs, had hot springs and had the medicinal waters that they were able to pipe into Laodicea. And then they had this other community, it's about six miles away, uh, Colossae, and they had cold waters. They had the cold, refreshing waters. But here's the thing, when they pipe those waters in from those two locations, when it's coming from the hot source or whether it's coming from the cold source, by the time it arrives in Laodicea, it is neither hot nor is it cold. It is tepid, it is nasty, it was disgusting temperature water. Much like coffee. You know, hot coffee's good, cold coffee's better, but lukewarm coffee, this is nasty. And if you drink lukewarm coffee, then you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. You have issues, but we all do, and if that's your only issue, that's not that bad. Understand that that word lukewarm appears only here in the New Testament. And Jesus' threat to spit them out of his mouth literally means that they nauseate him and it makes him one of He looks at them, he looks at their professions, he looks at their deeds, and he's so disgusted and turned off by it, it makes him want to just puke. He's telling them that he will judge and reject them for their self-righteousness and their attitude of self-sufficiency. And so that's likewise back in Amos chapter 6. God's issuing a similar warning Similar condemnation and judgment against this complacency. And so the complacent are guilty of placing their trust in the power and the wealth of men or their nation rather than placing their trust in God and God alone. 
So make no mistake, the complacent of this world in this day also face like judgment from God. Any person that feels at ease in Zion, which means any person that feels completely satisfied with what this world has to offer, it's like you're an ostrich with your head stuck in the sand. You don't even see it. You, you don't even realize, man, everything in this world collapses. It, it all fail. It will all fade away. It will all be destroyed. It will deteriorate. It will decay. I mean, eventually, it will all be gone. But only God can give the permanence of life. Only God can provide us perfect peace. Only God offers complete comfort. Only God can give to us absolute assurance that can be found in no other place other than at the throne of God. And so the danger in talking about complacency and apathy, especially in church, is that we're all too ready to just dismiss it. We dismiss it a couple of ways. There's a tendency to, to hear the word complacency and apathy, and automatically in our minds, we begin to think of other people that it applies to. Right? Like, tell them, Pastor, yeah, they need to hear this. And we don't take it and receive it and use it as an opportunity to, to, to evaluate who we are and what we're doing. And maybe, just maybe, we're the ones that are guilty of having a complacent or an apathetic spirit. And then the other tendency that we have to, is to automatically dismiss it because I, I'm here. I'm at church today. So the very fact that I'm here proves that I'm neither complacent nor apathetic. If that's you, let me tell you, that doesn't prove that at all. It just proves that you're here. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm glad that you're here. I think this is the right place to be. There's nothing more beautiful than starting our week off together and celebrating the King of Kings. But just because you're here doesn't prove that you're neither apathetic, nor does it prove that you're not guilty of being complacent. Outside of this moment, outside of this hour and 15 minutes together, how is your life displaying your commitment and your outright pursuit of Jesus Christ? I mean, yes, this is important and this is necessary. And we ought to be so faithful in the assembling together to worship the Father. But outside of this assembly, how is it being made evident in your life that you truly are a Christ follower? What are you doing? What are you pursuing? What, what's, what's the most important thing in life? So we get together, and this is good, right? And, and, and we open our Bibles. And, and we're opening more Bibles now, and that's awesome. Like, good job. Like, I'm serious. I love you when you see, when I see you opening up your Bible, that brings me great joy. Because why would you come to church without it? 
But, but here's the thing. For some of us, this is the first time you've opened it since the last time we were gathered together. So where, where, where's the love for the Word of God? Where's the hunger to, to study His Word? So yeah, we're going to open it. We're always going to open up in church. What we do is going to be based upon the Word of God. We're not going to apologize for that or anything. But are you in it more than just today? Are you in it more than just right now? And we'll pray throughout the service. And in a moment, we'll have an extended time of prayer. But are you doing that at home? Are you praying? Your kids might see that prayer is a priority for you at church. But do they see that as a priority for you at home? Do your kids interrupt you in your prayer? Do they interrupt you as you're reading the Word of God and studying His Word? I mean, how's it being played out? What beyond our gathering is, is, is the evidence that you're truly chasing after what God wants for you in life? And that you're really faithful to be obedient to his word. In other words, how are other people going to know that you truly belong to him? How will they know? And it's not because they'll see your car parked out there. That's not how it works, right? I mean, Jesus tells us himself in John chapter 13, verse number 35, by this they will know who are my disciples. And what is the this? Anybody? Yeah, there you go, yeah. So by this, they'll know that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. It's our love. Love is seen and display. Love is something that we do. It's action. It's activity. We demonstrate that to other people. So how are they going to know that we're a believer? How are they going to know that we're a Christ follower? It's not just that they'll see our car parked outside on a Sunday morning. No. It's not because we wear Christian t-shirts. Although, t-shirts can't be Christian because that's a, a, a noun and a t-shirt doesn't receive salvation. That's my own issue. I don't need to force that issue on you. Music can't be Christian. T-shirts can't be Christian. But they can be Christ-honoring. There's a difference there. But So is it just because of the, the shirts that you wear? Is that what Jesus says? Hey, make sure you change your wardrobe to all be pictures of this or that? No. Is it just the music that you listen to? No. Is it the, the, the Christian bumper sticker that you put on your car? Oh, man, if you have one, man, for, for the kingdom of God, for its growth, would you please just take it off? Take it off. I, I, somebody's like, well, why would you say that? I don't think there's ever been an individual, and if there ha has, then please correct me. I don't think that there's ever been an individual driving on the highway and then just been so blown away by the efficiency and the joy of a car that's passing them and think, man, wonder what makes them different. Oh, it's that sticker. What does this mean? No, I think there's more of a tendency for us to forget that we have that sticker on our car and drive around like a bunch of fools cutting people off and then just that's a reminder yeah but i'm a i'm a i'm a christian i'm just saying so if you don't really pay attention to how you drive and you have that in your car you might want to take it off 
if you have a tendency to, to think that speed limits are just a suggestion and they don't really apply to you, you might want to take that off. How would the world know that you're a Christ follower? Jesus says it's by your love. It's by your love. Amos is trying to address the nation of Israel, and he's calling to their attention that, hey, you've become way too complacent. You, you're way too apathetic in your spirit and in your actions. You fail to realize what God has truly called us to do and how he's called us to live our lives. And I think that same message applies to us today. I think sometimes we get way too distracted with other things that do not matter on the grand scale of things. And we need to put a high priority on being students of the word and applying the word rightly to our lives. And may we love his word more than we love anything else because how we handle the word of God is how we handle God. If you want to know God, you got to know his word. That's it. That's all I got for you. That's it, church. Like, do you love God? Do you love his word? Are you willing to receive his word into your heart, into your lives, and allow that to shape who you are and what you do? Or are you in danger of being like the nation was that Amos was addressing? In fact, go back to Amos chapter 6. Let me show you one more verse. This verse gets played out every single time we get together. Verse number three says, Do you put off the day of calamity? And would you bring near this seat of violence? What, what is he saying in this verse? He's drawing to their attention that they have a tendency to push the idea of the judgment of God out of their mind. It's like, hey, if you don't, if you don't think about it, then we don't have to deal with it. If I could just make it through another day, then, then maybe God won't condemn this uh, lifestyle or this decision that I'm pursuing that doesn't honor and glorify him. And so when Amos or, or any of the other prophets would, would preach and declare the truth of God's word to them, they were too ready and too willing to dismiss both the message and the messenger. They weren't willing to allow the message from the messenger to penetrate their heart, to bring conviction when necessary, and to lead them to a place of repentance in their lives. And I think we do it all the time. I, I think we just like, man, if we just make it through the service, uh, make it through this next little element, then I can leave here and I don't have to change anything or I don't have to address this misbehavior in my life. We're trying to push off the day of calamity without even really realizing that we're not pushing it off, we're not delaying it, we're actually bringing it closer to us. Question for each and every one of us, myself included. What's one thing in your life, just one, can you pick one that you know needs to be corrected? One thing that needs to be strengthened in your life are you are you willing to allow the holy spirit to show you at least the one thing so that you might repent from sin that you might make a commitment and, and pursue 
something that God's called you to so that he would be fully glorified in your life? What's one thing? Are you willing to pray and ask, Father, what's the one thing in me? And as he makes you aware of that one thing, we have the courage, we have the, the determination to confess that one thing and to do what he's called you to do. I hope so. We'll find out. May you be encouraged by the word of God. May you not just take the opinions of other people and, and accept their opinions as truth in your life. May you always, always, always return to God's word to make sure that the opinions of other people that they're feeding into your life match up with the holy word of God. May our lives be directed by his word. Father, help us today. God, help us to understand what it is that you truly want from each and every one of us. Father, there is no doubt that there are plenty of sins that need to be confessed. Sins that need to be repented from. Father, there are decisions that need to be made right here, right now. Uh, people to, to submit and to surrender their lives unto you. Father, some of us are walking in outright disobedience. Father, I pray that your spirit would bring great conviction into our lives. Father, I pray that you will stir up a restlessness in our spirits that won't be satisfied until we bend the knee and we submit and surrender our all unto you. For this time of prayer, Father, I pray that you would be glorified that you'd be pleased by what you see in us. Father, may we be either hot or cold, not lukewarm. Not anymore, Father. Help us during this time. I ask that we continue to pray. The altar is open. Staff and I are up here in the front. We're more than willing to, to pray with you or for you or over you. We'll spend a few moments in this time of prayer. And I challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit to make known unto you what's the one thing. What will you do today, church? Church.